Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we thank you uh, for this day. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for um, the beautiful songbook and, and uh, prayer book and, and poetry book that we have that is the book of Psalms. Um, God, we ask that you would speak to us tonight from your word, that as we, as we read your word, um, that uh, you would use it to conform our hearts to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, that the Holy Spirit would shine a light on this text. Um, God, that we would see places um, uh, that we had not seen before, that we would um, understand things in a way that we had not understood before. Um, Father, that we would um, recognize our own hearts uh, and, and, and understand things about them um, that we had not seen before. God, most of all, that we would get a, a picture and a vision of, of your graciousness and glory. Um, and that in all those things, again, that we would be more like Jesus Christ because of it. Father, um, draw us to yourself in your word. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're talking about repentance tonight. And so you guys have, I know you have heard me reference um, a little book by a, a Puritan theologian named Thomas Watson. And there's a little book that he has called The Doctrine of Repentance. We actually did it as a, as a good little book study at almost the very beginning of, of the church plant. Right when we started, we did it. Um, but it's one of my, it's one of my favorite, um, books, honestly, in general. It's certainly one of my favorite books of the Puritans. And Thomas Watson's one of my favorite Puritans. Uh, probably my favorite Puritan. It's weird to say that you have more than one favorite Puritan. That's just an odd thing. I don't think most people have that problem. But, um, I love Thomas Watson. Um, he is a, he is an author that writes in a very clear style. Some of the, some of the, uh, the, the, the Puritan writers can be very kind of technical. Um, there's some guys that you can, they, they dig into the minutia of things so much that you get lost in them. But I love, I love Watson. And one of the things that he points out in the book at the very beginning is he says this. He says, sometimes we think about repentance as something almost uh, connected to the old covenant, right? That it is a law issue. That repentance is about uh, law keeping or something. And he, and he makes the point in the very beginning of the book. And he says, repentance is a gospel issue. It is a gospel grace, okay? That the law said sin and die. That was what the law said, right? You mess up and then the consequences for that are death, right? Repentance 
And the forgiveness that comes through repentance is a gospel grace, right? It is something that is a, is a new covenant grace, not an old covenant um, issue. And so it's something that should be a part of our daily lives, right? We should be people who are repenting all the time, not just people who repent when we come to Christ in the beginning of our of our faith and our salvation, but repenting all the time. And what we see in this passage in Psalm 32 is we see a picture of repentance and, 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 and certain kind of key things about um, repentance and, and the goodness of, and importance of repentance. Okay, It starts out there at the beginning, verse 1, about the blessedness of repentance or that you are blessed when you repent. So look what it says. Blessed is the one, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. All right? So that word blessed is used twice, but in a way it's sort of used on about four different clauses in that passage. And so blessed just means, it basically means happy, right? It means truly happy. It means ultimately happy. It means um, it, it doesn't just mean, we kind of give it a spiritualized kind of, you know, we say, oh, well, you're blessed, something's blessed or whatever. But really what it means is, it means happy, okay? It means a kind of godly happiness, okay? It's the same word that's at the beginning of all the Beatitudes. You, you probably remember the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are uh, the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, right? When it says those things, it's saying, if you want to be happy in life, if you want to be right, ultimately happy, then these are the ways that you need to live. Interestingly, the Beatitudes are talking largely about repentance as well. But here in Psalm 32, we see what happiness looks like, right? These first four clauses, right? The first three are kind of connected, and I feel like the fourth one um, diverges a little bit. The first clause, it says, blessed are those, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven. Happy are those whose sin is covered. And happy are those against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. All right? So if you think about it, you can kind of break each one of those down into different aspects of the relationship that we have with God, right? There's a relational one about God forgiving us, right? God is no longer angry at you. Uh, after when we have repented, okay? There's a, maybe, I don't know the best way to say almost like a material picture that's given there, right? We are covered Um our sin has been covered over, right? We're in the middle of a remodel now, and and you're, you're painting over stuff, right? We had this big, ugly water stain on the ceiling. And guess what we did? We painted over it. We put one coat on it, and then we put another coat on it, and then I put some shellac on it to try to get something to stick to it, right, or whatever. But anyway, the point is, is that eventually that, that stain that was there was covered over. You don't see it anymore. You don't know it. It says, blessed is the man whose sin has been covered over, covered over by the blood of Christ in our lives. Um, and then this sort of judicial one at the end. Blessed is the man who, who against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, right? He doesn't count iniquity against you. We've talked about that idea from the book of Romans. He doesn't reckon your sins to you. He doesn't say that you're not a sinner. He doesn't say that you don't have any sins anymore. That's not what he says. He says he doesn't count these things to you, right? Um, he doesn't. Now, again, the way that the, the passage says it is he does not count your iniquity towards you anymore, okay? But notice there's a fourth clause there. The fourth clause kind of shifts from how it's talking about our relationship to God in the first, first three, but then it starts talking about what's going on inside of our hearts, okay? That's the fourth clause. And so what does it says? It says, 
Blessed is the person in whose spirit there is no deceit. All right? Now, again, I think what's going on here is it's not just talking about, um, it's not just talking about saying somebody who doesn't lie. Okay? Because we could think it would mean that, right? It's just saying, oh, somebody who's not a liar or something like that. But it's dealing more with our heart issues, right? It's dealing with the idea of saying, blessed is the person who is open and honest about the reality of their own heart and life, right? We aren't trying to hide anything anymore. In fact, we agree with God's assessment of our own hearts. And we get that, we get that image because of the rest of the passage, right? We're not saying we're sinless. Right? But we are agreeing with God about our sin. And we're not lying. We're trying to hide it. And we're trying to deceive ourselves. We're trying to deceive God, even if that were possible. Right? That's what repentance looks like. That's what repentance is ultimately about. The idea of repentance is to say, I have a change in heart that now agrees with God about a subject. Okay? Then I would argue that after that, there's the fruit of repentance that comes from that, right? You start living your life differently in light of that new understanding. But that's what we're talking about. So this person whose heart, who is blessed because there's no deceit in them, is somebody who is being honest with God about their life, right? And saying, this is who I am and this, and this is what's going on in my heart, okay? Obviously, you know this. Uh, that is not a reflex, right? That is not our default, Action, right? We don't just naturally sort of go, oh yeah, I want to be open and upfront and just like show all my garbage to the world and to God, right? That's not how we normally act, okay? We want to hide. We want to deny. We want to keep quiet about our sin, right? Not let anybody know about it. Maybe even particular, not let God know about it. We don't want judgment, right? We don't want people looking at us and thinking less of us. Um, and then sometimes we want to continue to indulge in that sin, right? Like we may know it's wrong, but we say, man, I just, I enjoy it, um, or, or I get something from it. And so I, I don't want to have to deal with it right now. But here's the deal. And watch the progression that happens in this, this passage as we learn about sin and about repentance. The problem with not dealing with it is that it's destroying you, right? That unrepentant of sin in your life is destroying you. What does it say in verse 3? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as with the heat of summer. All right, so what's that trying to say to us? Hiding your sin is exhausting, right? It is draining it erodes, it diminishes us, right? Again, he says, my strength is dried up as by the heat of sun, summer. Again, I've been fixing a house all summer that has no air conditioning and until very recently had no insulation. And you get to be about one o'clock in the afternoon and the sun's high, it's like 100 degrees in that house. And you're trying to hang sheetrock and, and, and do all this, this crazy stuff. And you know what happens? You do that from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. at night or whatever, and you get home at night and you feel drained, right? Like you feel more than tired. You feel emptied. You feel, you just feel like you're just wiped out, okay? That's the kind of picture. We've probably all done that. We spent a hot day out working in, in, in the yard or something like that, and, you, and we recognize the heat, the way heat does that. He's saying the same thing happens with unconfessed sin. 
right? The same thing happens when we try to hide our sin from God and don't, and don't bring it to bear is it, it is saps us and it diminishes us and it wears us out. It drains us. And notice something too, man, that draining effect that he's talking about, that pressure that is on us is actually a pressure that is from God. Okay. That's not just the natural effect of the sin or something like that, right? It is actually God pushing on us. So what does it say in verse four? It says, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, right? God is, God is the one who is putting that pressure on that unrepentant sin. Why? Because that discomfort that is there is God trying to get you to repent. Right? He's trying to make that, that, that sin uncomfortable to you so that you will turn back to them. Um, because it's something that you need to deal with. Okay? And that, and, and that's important to notice, right? It's important to notice that fact because here's the deal. That pressure, that discomfort that's coming at us from God is not his judgment. You understand that? That heavy hand is not his judgment on us. In fact, it's a grace to us, okay? That heavy hand that's on it is a mercy to you and a kindness to you. If he hated you, if God hated you and this was a judgment, man, he would just leave you alone, right? He would let you go on in your sin until it destroyed you and there was nothing left, right? But that's not what God does. There is something in you that needs out. And until that happens, God's not going to let you alone, right? God is going to sit there and, 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 uh, it's going to be a burr, right? It continues to irritate until you turn in repentance, in repentance. So I was, as I was thinking about that picture, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can think about, right? You know, a blister or like a burr and, and burr the saddle kind of illustration or something like that. But you know what it's like? Maybe it's a weird illustration, but it's like throwing up. Okay, repentance is like throwing up. Okay, what, and you, you all know, right? Lots of people are scared of throwing up. Um, they're almost phobic about throwing up. I know people who would say throwing up is like the worst thing in the world. Like I hate it, you know, I hate getting a stomach bug. I hate having food poisoning. I hate it. It's the thing that I, I like least in the world. They're more scared of it than snakes and spiders and heights and death and, and whatever else, right? Um, and what do we do when you feel sick and you need to throw up, right? You fight it. Oh, man, you fight it, right? What do you try to do? Get some fresh air, right? Get something cool, drink some Sprite, eat some saltines. You fight it because you go, I don't want to throw up. I just don't want to, okay? And then you do, okay? And also, every single one of us knows what happens right after you throw up. What happens? Man, you feel so much better immediately, right? Like you just go, that's what I needed to do. I needed to get it out, okay? And you may go, that's a really gross illustration, Ash, okay? Yeah, uh, okay? But it's just like repentance, okay? Because here's the deal. It is a difficult, ugly process sometimes to, to, to bring our sin to bear, right? Um, it's hard to, to present that before God. Sometimes it's painful, certainly just uncomfortable, right? Um, it can be even more so in some ways dealing with it in community, right? Letting other people know about your sin. Um, and talking to them and, and, and getting accountability on those things, right? But the second you do it, you feel better. I remember a few years ago um, here, at, it's, it's been actually about 10 years ago now. I suppose it's right when I started here. That's been 15 years ago, good grief. Uh, so I made a dumb comment at a business meeting one time. 
And it was really, I made that dumb comment because I didn't know what was going on. I misunderstood the situation and I made a dumb off the cuff comment. And I realized pretty quickly that I had made this dumb comment, but it was too late to say anything about it at that time. And so for like a month, man, it's just ate at me. And I was like, man, it's so dumb. I don't, I'm, I know uh, that's, that's not what I wanted to present or whatever. And I just was sort of eat up with it, right? So then the next month at the business meeting, um, I was like, before we got started, like when everybody was sitting there, I was like, hey, I've got something I need to say. I just wanted to apologize for that thing I said last month because it was stupid and I didn't know what I was talking about or the situation. I apologize. Shouldn't have mouthed off like that. And you know what? Everybody was probably like, I don't even remember that you made that comment, Ash. Like they didn't care. Okay. But I did. And it had been eating me up for a while. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I said it, man, the air was clear and it was fine. But it, man, it was, it was nerve wracking leading up to that day. I was like, oh, I gotta get in front of those people and say this thing is going to be weird. Right. Repentance is like that. And God's going to push you and make you uncomfortable until you get to that point. Okay. Or at least, when you are uncomfortable, that is an act of his love, right? He is doing that as a grace to you, okay? And notice what happens in verse 5. What happens when we repent? I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, right? Period. Right? I confessed before you, God, and you forgave me because that's what God does. Okay? When we confess our sin to God, God forgives us. What an incredible promise that is right there. First off, okay? And an incredible miracle and something that you should meditate on and revel in all the time because I think most of the time what we do, we say, oh yeah, well, it's Christianity. Of course God forgives us. That's what kind of the whole thing is about. Right? But we forget that he doesn't have to do that. It's not something that God is, is forced to do. Okay, And so the fact that God says, if you will repent and turn back to me, I will forgive you is an incredible grace that we should not take for granted. Now, again, I think the case is, and maybe the reason why we oftentimes don't repent is because we are hesitant to admit that we're wrong or to ask for forgiveness um, because we've done that with people around us and then they have held it over our heads, right? You have asked forgiveness of somebody. You have been open and honest about something before, and yet that person has not received that in a gracious way, in a merciful way. Once you admitted your wrongness, then they held your wrongness over you. And I think sometimes we, we are afraid that that's what God is going to do, okay? But this passage along with many others in the scripture, tell us that's not the case, right? Looking at 1 John 1 that we just read a few minutes ago, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here's the deal, man. You need not hide your sin. You need not be worried because God is, he makes happy. He blesses those who humbly confess their sin to him, right? That's what God does. He is happy to do that and gracious to do that. We think as if God will think less of us if we are upfront with our sin and admit our faults. But the truth is there's nothing left for us, right? That's actually sort of, it's almost like it's the only virtue there is, okay? Um, we've, we've already messed up in any number of ways, right? God knows exactly what kind of people we are. 
in the ways that we've compromised, in the, in the ways that we've let sin and darkness into our heart. There's really only one thing that we can do, and that's repent. Okay, and say, I'm wrong. You're right, God. I come back to you and agree with you and submit to you. I think probably the case is, is that um, as we sort of put all our garbage out there, is that we think God will think less of us. But in fact, he will honor us with blessedness, with happiness. So what should we do then? Right? It should probably be obvious to us what we should do, right? Verse 6, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. Okay? We should repent, right? Right now, um, at every stage of our life, um, when we have unrepented of sin in our lives, we should go before God um, and, and in prayer, confess our sin before God and turn from that sin, right? Do it now. Do it before you go to bed tonight. Do it before you leave this service. Do it before wherever, whenever the case is, but you, but, but it's what you must do. That is what the wise person would do in these situa- this situation. Um, and you should do it for a couple of reasons. One, because it is so urgent, because notice what else it tells us in the passage. It says, at a time, we should offer prayer to God at a time when he may be found. Okay, what does that mean? That means that there may come a time when God is not able to be found by you to repent. Okay, does that make sense, right? He says, repent now while you can, because there may come a time when you can't when God is not to be found for repentance. What does that mean? Like, what is he talking about that there? Well, at least a couple of things, probably. For one, he's talking about that window that we have between now and the day of judgment or now and the day of our death, right? That the reality is, is that once either one of those events happens, the day of our death or or the day of judgment, right? You can't repent after that, okay? So there is a time limit on our repentance. We have to do that in in. Uh, the time that is allotted to us, right? This is the open enrollment time for grace, okay, right? You can get in easily right now, right? You can turn to God and and anybody can join right now, but that will not always be the case, okay? But here's here's a second reality um, that is also there. We have to acknowledge the tendency of sin to keep on sweeping us further and further downstream and taking us further and further from the Lord, right? That's exactly what he says in the next passage. What does he say? And notice notice the, the pronouns because you can misunderstand what he's trying to say. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. They, meaning our prayers, Okay, you say, what does that mean? What does it mean that our prayers won't reach him? Well, I think what it's talking about is that that idea that, you know what, sometimes what happens is we get so far down into sin that it's like being swept away by the rapids, right, by by a stream um, that's that's overrun with water, right? Um, Whereas you think first there's a moment there where there's an opportunity for repentance. There's a moment there in the river where there's an opportunity to rescue the person. But if you don't do it quickly, the current is going to pull that person to the point where 
um, we can't get to them. Okay. Now that's again not to that, that's not to to try to to cast doubt on God's grace and His ability to save and stuff. Obviously, there are people that God still um, rescues when they are far deep into sin and, and and way beyond the point that maybe anybody would have expected salvation to come. And yet, it is still a warning. It's a warning to say, don't treat repentance like it's something that oh, don't worry about it. I've got plenty of time to do that. I can do that whenever I want to. Right. I'll repent when I'm older. I'll repent when I'm married. I'll repent when I have kids. I'll repent when I get back in church. I'll repent. Don't put it off until some other time. Now is the time for repentance because you never know when it'll be too late. So we should not fear or hesitate to repent. Not only because the danger is so great and not only because the cause is urgent, but, but look what else it tells us. The psalmist implores us, you should repent now because God is so good. Because God is so good. Look at verse 7. You are a hiding place for me, God. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, right? There is safety in God. There is care in God. There's celebration even in God. We see that in the New Testament, don't we? I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Luke chapter 15. We do not repent, and then God, uh, or we don't, we don't repent, and then God like gives us a cold shoulder, right? Again, we we think God acts like people we know, right? And so maybe you had a friend or a parent or a spouse or something who you repented of someone, and then they kind of went, "Yeah, that's right." Now go over there and think about what you've done, kind of kind of attitude, right? That's not what God does, right? God is in heaven celebrating. Um, he is the is the, the prodigal son's father who is running to embrace and to throw a party for the sinner who repents. Okay, that's the picture that we have in the passage. Okay, and then notice too the voice changes in verse seven to verse eight without even telling us. It's been the psalmist talking so far, but all of a sudden, what happens? Now God starts talking. God personally, with the psalmist, has been telling us about himself and what God was going to do. Now God tells us what He's going to do. Verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Okay? That's not the psalmist talking. That's God talking. God says, I will instruct you. I will teach you. I'll show you the way that you should go from here on out. Right? Repentance is about turning from sin and going the opposite way. But, man, we underestimate the difficulty of that sometimes. Right, we underestimate the the difficulty of someone who has been living in a sinful pattern for a long, long time, and then going when that person repents and recognizes, "Cool, I, I got to walk away from this, and I've got to turn the other way." And then they turn the other way, and they go, "I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live a life that looks like this. I've never done this before." Right? I've always lived apart from God, and now I need to go this new direction. I don't know the way. I don't know the path. What does God promise us? He says, I'll show you the way. I'll be there. I'll teach you. I'll instruct you personally. Isn't that what James told us last week when he preached, right? That it is God who will teach us these things himself. So don't worry, right? Don't worry that if I repent, I'm not going to know how to live in that new life. Because the reality is, God will teach you how to live there. He will watch over you, it even says. He will cast his eye upon you, leading you himself. He'll show you the way. 
And he promises us that in his own voice in that passage to guide us on the road ahead. Okay, so what does this kind of all bring us to, right? There's sort of this concluding statement that sums up um, the whole passage. And, and again, it's advice to us to say, well, sh- what should we do then? What, how should we live in light of these things? And what does he say? Verse 9, he says, don't be like the horse or the mule, right, that lacks understanding and has to be curbed with a bit and a bridle or it will not stay near you, Right? Probably not many of us have horses, and I don't have horses, and you may not know exactly how a bit and a bridle works, but what are they? They're instruments of force, functionally, right? Like they're not there, they're there to do something that makes the horse act in a certain way, right? To control the horse, to force the horse to do um, a certain action, to, to obey the master, right? God says, man, that's not what I'm looking for. I don't want you to be in a situation where I have to bend you to get you to do these things, right? I want you to follow and do what's right. Car seats, right? Car seats, car seats are the worst. Um, They're they're really bad putting them in, right? They're really difficult putting them in. But if you're a parent in here who has had little kids, there's something that we've all been through when you're trying to put your kid in a car seat and they won't get in. And they do that thing where they're like rigid and they're pushing against it or whatever. And you literally have to be like, like you, you push them into the seat, right? You're holding their arms down and you're like bending their legs and they are fighting you with everything. And, and the whole time you're just thinking to yourself, bud, I just don't want you to die, right? I don't want you to get in a wreck and you get hurt. Um, I don't want to get arrested and go to jail because you were bouncing around in the back seat, right? Everybody is better off if you will just submit, sit out of the seat and buckle in, right? And man, we are like that toddler sometimes, right? Like we just want to fight it. And we want to fight it till the very end. So the psalmist says, man, don't be like, don't be like the baby in the car seat. Okay. Don't be like the horse or the mule who has to be bridled, um, to, to do what God says. Not only because it's, it's, it's an awful process for everybody involved, but what does it say in verse 10? It says, man, many are the sorrows of the wicked. You're just asking for problems. Your life is not going to be better because you resisted God's heavy hand of repentance on you, right? It's only going to bring more junk into your life. You're going to go further and further down that rapids, and you're going to find yourself in more and more difficult situations, all right? So just turn to the Lord. Just repent. And again, he reminds us of the joy and the delight that comes from those who have repented and who are right in God's presence. It says, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord, right? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. God's not a curmudgeonly killjoy who's like, I just want to take all these fun things that you do out of your life and make your life stupid and boring right? That's not what's going on, okay? He's saying, I want you to turn from the things that are killing you, will drag you away from me, and lead you into destruction. I want to embrace you in joy and steadfast love, in righteousness and rejoicing and shouting for joy, right? That's the life that I want for you. So just come back to me. Just repent. Turn from your sin, walk away from it, and return to the Lord. He will be there. 
and it will be a delight for you. Amen? Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we know, um, God, as wise as these words, as we read them, God, as, as clear as your word is to us as we see these things, God, we all know our hearts. We all know that we have lived the opposite of these things, right? We have lived as the mule without understanding who fights and, and bucks everything that you have for us. God, we ask that you would continue to press your hand on us. God, that you would make that sin in our lives uncomfortable. God, that we would continue to feel the the pressure and the dissipation and the draining reality of that sin. God, we don't want you to make our sin better. We don't want you to make the consequences for our sin better. God, if it is what it takes to lead us to repentance, then God, we ask that you would do that. Because we know that ultimately it is not only what is right and most glorifying to you, but it is what is good and most beneficial for us to turn from our sin and to return to you. God, help us to do that. God, whatever the areas of sin in each of our lives, and and they are many, God, oftentimes we don't even recognize them um, because we have lived in them so long and gotten used to them. But God, whatever those areas of sin are, God, we ask that you would reveal them, God, that you would... Um, give us the power and grace to repent of those things, God, that we would live in the light of your holiness and of your grace. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Once was lost in darkest night, and thought I knew the way. The sin that brought this joy led me to the grave. I had no hope that you alone would travel to your will. If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I read, I held a voice indifferent to the cost. You took upon my helpless sin. Led me to the cross. In God he held, God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. Before the wrath reserved for me, now all I know is grace. Jesus is 
tonight. It's good to see everybody. I um, hope you had a great week and hope you have a great week. Um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. <laughs>